We are in a big living room. That's what I want you to picture. And you just walked across the living room and you reconnected and listen, we are family. This is a family gathering. This is meant to be celebration, uh, reuniting campuses. We've got Saturday night. We've got Sunday morning, 2nd Street, Sunday morning, 411 Street. And some of you just aren't seeing each other for weeks and maybe even months. So this is a time to reconnect and to remember we are one church meeting in more than one location. So as I give you what we're going to uh, look at this morning, it's not actually, remember last week, last week I threatened I was going to do a reboot on Nehemiah series. And if you're looking at your notes, you might be thinking he really meant it because we're not in chapter 10, we're in chapter 11. And this really is not in May, this is June. So it's chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 that we're looking at this morning. And actually, we're going to look at verses 1 through 24. And if you can't believe that, wait till the end of the sermon. You're going to see, wow, he really did cover 24 verses. But we're going to look at 1 and 2 really carefully. Did you know that experts calculated at the time of Christ, world population, you ready? Here it is, 250 million people. Now listen, I know statistics are exciting. Some of you are getting really excited. 1,500 years from Christ's birth, it took that long to double to a half a billion. And then it doubled again by the end of the 18th century to 1 billion. And then you get to 1930, and it doubled again to 2 billion. And today, a little over 7 billion The World Health Organization is saying by 2040, it's going to be 9.3. Some are saying by 2100, it's going to be 11 billion people. All right, I know that's interesting. Look at how quiet you are. You're amazed at the wisdom that I'm giving you. I understand that. But let me give you another trend that's occurring. In 1800, now listen, the year 1800, not even some of you were alive then. 1800, 2.5% of the world's population lived in cities. That's not a lot. But by 1975, there were three megacities. But then a little bit later, uh, 10 million, those megacities made up of 10 million or more people. 2011, two years ago, there's 21. Three years ago, 3.5 people a billion people lived in cities. That's over 50% of the world's population. And it's projected that by 2030, 60% of the world is going to be living in cities. Either because they're moving to urban areas or cities are sprawling out into the country. Now, I want you to hold that in mind. Listen, that was called urbanization. It's the movement of people into the cities. It's happening all over the world. And I want you to hold on to that as we go back to 445 B.C. 445 B.C. is the time of Nehemiah. And in 445 B.C., Nehemiah is the governor of an empty and desolate city. The city's name was Jerusalem. Listen, do you know that? I mean, the walls are rebuilt, the temple and the people are revived, but the city needs to be repopulated. And Nehemiah wanted to do the same thing. Listen, you think we're original in what we're doing and moving down into Easton and multi-siding? That's not original. (coughs) 
thought I turned the mic off. Isn't that funny? That's not original. We're learning. We're doing what we're doing from the book of Nehemiah and all through the scriptures. Nehemiah wanted the city populated. We want to bring people into the east end of the Lehigh Valley, right into the demographic clusters where the gospel can have its effect. Dave Block shared this verse. Here it is. I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them to increase their people like a flock. We're not trying to be a mega church. We're trying to be a multi-siding church. We want to see people come to this church who are like flocks at Jerusalem, who, who are ready, who are like flocks for sacrifice, ready to serve. If you're here at this church, we're anticipating you're an answer to our prayer. You're ready to serve. Bruce, Bruce's testimony this morning. It's God getting a hold of Bruce saying, Bruce, I want you to share even more. I want you to serve even more. I want you to be my flock. My lamb for sacrifice. He might be saying that to you as well. See, the temple of God was in Jerusalem. But listen, you got to get this or you don't understand Nehemiah. The temple was thriving, but the city was in ruin. Nobody wanted to live in Jerusalem. We've got a downtown worship Center in the Second Street campus, but the city all around it is mired in spiritual darkness. So this morning, and I don't have a whole lot of time, and I'm going to move pretty quickly. I want to show you four groups of people from Nehemiah 11 that Nehemiah moved to help repopulate Jerusalem. Now listen, look at me. Let's take a time out for just a second. You might get to the end of this sermon... And God might start that very familiar tugging at your heart that says, maybe God is moving me down to 2nd Street to do a work in the demographic cluster of 26,900 people that call Easton, Pennsylvania their home. Let's pay attention to those tugs. Number one group, and I'm going to be quick with this one, the leaders led by example. Let's look at your Bibles. Let's be the people of God's word. Because some of you I knew weren't going to bring your Bible. I cheated. I never do this except on rare occasions. The scripture will be up on the screen. But if you've got your Bible, forget the screen. And some of you can't even see it anyways and you know it. (laughs) I can tell by your squinty-eyed faces. Just stop embarrassing yourself and look at your Bibles. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. You hear that? The leaders lead by example. They lived in Jerusalem. Nehemiah is wanting to repopulate the city. Well, the leaders followed. The leaders led. We've got elders. We've got deacons. We've got ministry leaders who are leading by example. They're serving. They're worshiping at our Second Street campus. They're serving. They're worshiping here at 411 March Street or there at 411 March Street. They're excited. They're excited to see what God is doing in the city. Here's the point. The leaders were fully committed to repopulating the city. Can I tell you, there's not one leader on our board that's not fully committed to this vision. To see a spiritual wall rebuilt around the east end of the Lehigh Valley. To build strong believers. This is our mission. This is the verb. If you want to see the the vision happen, the mission's got to get working. To build strong believers in Jesus Christ through his word as we follow him into our community. That's what we're about. And the leaders are all about it. 
The leaders led by example. I'm going to move this quickly. Here's point number two. Some, remember, he's repopulating the city. Some were propelled by God to the city. Now, this is really for Clay Mittman. Clay, where are you? Clay Mittman. Clay Mittman, at least to me, and I think it's probably true, is maybe one of the most famous realtors in Easton. He knows everything that's going on. Clay, listen, Jerusalem real estate agents, they were having a tough go. Look at chapter 7, verse 4. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few in the houses, and no houses had been rebuilt. Nobody wanted to live in the city. You couldn't sell houses. They were in rubble for 142 years. Can you imagine what would happen to Easton if it lied dormant? For 142 years, no maintenance crew probably wouldn't look much different than it actually does. All right, that was a little cheap shot. For 142 years, Jerusalem had been a dangerous place to live, surrounded by enemies. They were a city without walls. Listen, who would want to be in a city surrounded by enemies with no walls, no protection? You couldn't get people to get into the city. Forget that. I'm going to live in the country. If you lived in the country and there's an army coming toward you, at least you could hide. You're going to lose your crops. You're going to lose your livestock, but you're not going to lose your lives. In the city, you're hemmed in. There is no place to hide. You wouldn't get people into Jerusalem. They were suffering what sociologists and demographic experts today call urban blight. You ever heard of urban blight? It'd been ravaged, Jerusalem, ravaged by invading armies. Listen, you gotta, you gotta get into this. You gotta pretend you know what Jerusalem looks like. For 142 years, nobody had been cleaning the rubble. Their houses had been burned. They were knocked down. There were trees growing through the empty carcasses of homes and buildings. The streets were strewn with vegetation and rubble. Who wants to live there? You know what Christians have been guilty of? You know what churches are guilty of? Listen, it's called white flight. White flight is when you leave the city as a church and you go out to the suburb where it's easier to live. That's white flight. You give up on the city and you move to the comfort of the suburbs. And it's not wrong. Listen, it's not wrong for a church to be in the country or to be in the suburbs. But what is wrong is when you neglect the city. What is wrong is when you abandon and you write off the city and you ignore the incredible potential that God has for the gospel that lies within every city. Listen, if you're a preacher or you're an evangelist and you've got 300 people that are all together and then you've got 30 people that are scattered all over the place, which one do you want to preach to? If you've got 5,000 people all in one area and then you've got 1,000 people that cover 30 square miles, which one do you want to plant a church in? See, the gospel's potential is in the city. And Nehemiah knows that we're going to fill the city, we're going to repopulate the city. He's propelling people down. Do you know that nearly a dozen Eastern churches... In as many years have left Easton to get out to the suburbs. 
Our church in 2006, Cornerstone, we let go of the plans. We have 39 acres in Gradwell Switch, Lower Nazareth Township. We let go of the plans to build a mega site. That was going to be about an $11 million two-phase structure. Ball fields, walking paths, amphitheaters. We let it go because God began to turn our hearts in a missional direction, in an externally focused direction that said, listen, as, as much as churches are needed, there's a lot of churches there. We need to get out down to the darkness. We, can, we need to get into where the gospel needs to penetrate. So we moved away from a mega site towards a multi-site and bought the church that we own. We call the Second Street Campus. Look how Nehemiah is doing this. He's leading the people to do the same thing. Look at verse 1. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. Remember what we just talked about last week, the whole tithing, a tenth part. Nehemiah is now tithing the people. And he's tithing the people, and he's saying, one-tenth of you, it's time to move into the city. So they cast lots. I'm pretty sure none of us have ever cast lots. The closest you're going to come is roll dice or flip a coin. But lots were made from sticks, stones, pieces of bone, and they often had markings on them. And you would usually keep them in a pouch, and a priest would keep them around uh, his neck, or, or leaders in the community would keep that pouch, and they would either draw the lots out, or they would dump the lots down. It was a way that when you did not have clear scriptural guidance and you needed to know what the Lord wanted you to do, you cast the lots and God would divinely guide. It's all through the Bible. The last time you see the church or in the Bible, the casting of lots was when they replaced Judas with Matthias as the disciple, the apostle. That was it. No more after that. Why? Because the Spirit of God came down into the hearts of every believer, every Christian, and now the Spirit of God divides or guides us. We don't need to cast lots any longer. We've got the Spirit of God. He is our guide. So casting lots is equivalent to what we do today. Listen, it's called prayer. The lot is cast into the lot, Proverbs says, lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Notice from verse 1, though, I want you to see this. This is so incredible. Everybody look. Who cast the lots? Whose idea was it? It was the people. Do you see what it says? The rest of the people Cast lots. It's inferring that yes, Nehemiah was saying we need to tithe. We need to get a tenth of the people down there. But how are we going to do it? Now the rest of the people cast the lots. The people said whatever the Lord tells us to do, we're going to do. And today it would be what we've asked you to do. Would you pray about whether God is leading you to Second Street, either Saturday night or Sunday morning, and get involved in that ministry. Make that your campus, your home. Invest and see what the Lord is going to do downtown in Easton. And I would ask you to continue praying, continue to ask God, because he might be propelling 
Externally, he might be moving you to the second street. Some of us annoying pastors keep coming to some of you and say, listen, we really would love to see you go down to second street. Well, maybe pray is that God using your pastors, your elders, your leaders to move you, to propel you, to worship, to do a work down into the city where people are struggling and where the darkness is so deep. But look at the next group. Here's the third group. Many of them stayed where they were. While nine out of ten, verse one, remained in the other towns. That's nine out of ten. It was estimated by one person that at the time in Nehemiah, there was one around one million people around Jerusalem in the land of Israel. So if that estimate is true, or if it's even remotely accurate, a hundred thousand people cast, were casting lots and chosen by God, move down, move into the city, move into the city and serve me in the temple, while 900,000 stayed where they were, and they were invaluable people. Listen, those who stay at March Street, you've got a job. Not only to do the work of ministry at that campus, which is all of what is requested and expected from God for all of us. Your job, though, is to support. Your job is to even possibly, ready, collective breath, maybe even give a little bit more money to this church. Because downtown's likely not going to bring a lot of money. We're catering, we're ministering to people that don't work a lot. That support might be through praying. For the downtown campus, it's meeting Saturday night and Sunday morning. That support might be calling up, and you're going to see in a minute, because I'm going to have people stand up who are downtown. It might be in encouraging those who have committed to that campus. Listen, can you imagine we've got 65 people coming out Sunday morning, 2nd Street Campus. Can you imagine the worship team putting hours and hours of practice and then looking out and seeing 65 people? Listen, they're thrilled, but there's a fleshly part that is capable of saying, why am I putting this much work into this? Where is everybody? Well, the Lord will bring them. You be faithful to do what the Lord's asking you to do. Encourage those who are going downtown. It's pretty exciting on Saturday night. We've got 130, 140 people coming. But we need encouragement. We need you to encourage 411 Marsh Street. Encourage those who are going downtown. Remind them they're doing an incredibly important work. Look what it says in verse 1 again. Verse 2. And the people blessed all the men. Men and women. And children. Who did they bless? Well, that's the fourth group. Some were impelled by God. You got the leaders. You've got those who were propelled by God outwardly through casting of lots. You've got those who remained behind nine tenths who had a job of supporting those in the city. Listen, by the way, look at me for a second because I forgot to tell you this. Those who moved into the city gave up their farms. They gave up their fields. They gave up their independence. They gave up their homes. They gave up the beauty of the country to move into the city and they gave up their ability to be able to provide. Those nine tenths had to provide for those who didn't have fields and farms. 
And then we've got that fourth group, some were impelled by God. Verse 2, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These weren't, these weren't directed to Jerusalem through casting lots. They wanted to go to Jerusalem. They couldn't wait to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because God was doing a work to make his name famous in Jerusalem. His temple was in Jerusalem. They wanted to be closer to where the action was. That phrase, willingly offered, I think in the NIV says volunteered. It means to impel or incite from within. Now listen, you got to see me for a moment. God was working in their hearts, this group, to say, I want. Why? Because God wants. There's nothing more precious to God other than his son, Jesus Christ, than his church. Where he dwells is what is precious to God. Listen, you want to know what God is doing today in our lives? It's all about the church. The church universal. The assembly of people that God has rescued out of the world and put into his kingdom. And the kingdom of God finds its tangible expression in what we call the church. God's love is the church. It's his treasured possession. It's his blood-bought Treasure. It's the apple of his eye through which his lashes, his eyelids close to protect. It's all about the church. God put a desire in their hearts. They wanted to get into Jerusalem. They wanted to repopulate the city, restore it to its beauty. And we're going to see next week they begin to rejoice. See, they glimpsed the vision. Some of you have seen the vision, the vision of rebuilding a spiritual wall around the east end of the Lehigh Valley, and it has excited you, and you said, listen, I don't want to be on the rear guard, I want to be at the vanguard. I want to be at the front, I want to get down in the action. I know it's going to be hard, I know it's going to take time, I know there's a lot of darkness, I know there's a lot coming against us, but we want to get downtown where the action is, and we want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. You're glimpsing the vision and you're part of the mission you're serving. And listen, almost this entire group, this fourth group, they they were unnamed, unrecognized heroes of the faith. See, many, most of you know the names of the staff. And a lot of you know the names of our board members. But we've got a whole group of people. Serving God in tremendous ways on both campuses. And they are the unsung heroes. They have no titles. They're not getting any accolades. They just serve faithfully. And you can see four groups of unsung heroes in Nehemiah 11. Let me show them to you. Look at verses 10 through 12. We're not going to read them, but just look. The first group, 822 people volunteering to work in the temple. Volunteering to work, to do the work of the house. Listen, you know who these people were? Well, you're not going to know them by name. They're unsung heroes. But they're doing the work of the house, meaning they keep the temple running. You know what happened to us this last week in all that rain? We got a leak in our roof right down over our soundboard at March Street Campus. I get a call, Renee Faust. I don't even know why she was there. She, it was middle of the week. She pops over there, sees all this rain coming. She covers the soundboard, puts garbage cans up, 
calls me. I call Rich Pensack, who leads our sound team at that campus. He runs down there. He starts taking the soundboard home, takes it apart, gets it working again. We get Paul Harrison. None of these people are paid. He comes by. Matt Millen comes by. They both climb up on the roof at different times, start patching, start repairing. People start cleaning. These are the unsung heroes. They keep the temple running. They keep the church running. We've got Marlita Wood. We've got Kathy Badalamenti. They've got their teams at different campuses. They make sure that when you walk into this church, if they're not holding the door and if they're not giving you a bag, if this is the first time you're coming, they're at least smiling. They're shaking your hands. This is what they do. They keep the church running. And there are so many more people we're going to recognize. She's going to hate me. I'm going to do this to her. Why? Because I'm the pastor and I can do this. Marianne Brown, I know you hate me. Stand up. Look, she's hiding behind David Barry. I will come back there, lady. Stand up or raise your hand. Thank you. Now let's all pray for Marianne to not be bitter at me. But she has she has done our communion how many years? Twenty nine. She just yeah. She just asked to come off of that team so she could do some other things. Now Pastor Tim's doing it. The crackers were all off size. I mean, it was crazy. Marianne, you are incredible. Thank you for keeping the church running. You're one of the ones that we're talking about. <clears throat> Listen, I can name so many of you, and don't be slighted if I don't name you, but you're the unsung heroes. And then there's a second group. And they were over the outside work of the house of God, verses 15 to 16. You know what that means? That doesn't just mean they do what Megan and Ian Schurz do, the landscaping with their team. That's not just what it means. In, in those days, outside work meant more than that. These were the people that counseled people. They judged over cases. They handled civil affairs of the city. They ministered to the public outside the places of worship. That's what it means to be over the outside work of the house of God. The temple was for worship. And it was kept holy. Why? How? Because they had gatekeepers. And gatekeepers made sure that the the holy ones, the people of God, came into the temple. The people came into the temple with praise on their lips and thankfulness in their hearts. And when people were struggling and suffering, they went to them and they walked them through these issues. Job from the Old Testament would have been one of these. They're the people that we have in our church who, you know, you know how often Bruce and Tony Galetta get to the hospital before any of the pastors do? That's actually insulting to me a little, but I've never told them that. We get to the hospital, there's somebody laying in there who goes, oh, where have you been? Bruce and Tony were already here. I can't stand that couple. I said, Bruce and Tony, call me up, would you? Save me a little face, you're embarrassing us. Listen, we got people, a bunch of you that get to the hospital, you visit the, the struggling. We've got people, Jamie and Jake Kowalski, they go, I think there's others that do this too, they go to stores and pick up food for Riverside. They don't get paid for this. There's no mileage. There's no gas reimbursement. They they just take care of this. We've got Lori Burke and her team that writes up articles for the newspaper and gets us some recognition for what God is doing for his fame and his name. It's amazing what people are doing. They're the ones that are over the outside work of the house of God. There's a third group. 
verse 17, led by one man. And look what it says. He was the leader of the praise. I bet you never heard of his name before, Mataniah. You'll never see his name again. He's an unsung hero. He didn't make Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith chapter. He's a virtual unknown. Yet here's a man whose life is identified by what that phrase means. It means prayer. He is a he is the the heart hower of the Old Testament. The Jimmy Yisley of the Old Testament who are constantly coming up to me and saying, Hey, listen, I want you to know I was praying a lot for you this last week. I was praying about that ministry this past week. Listen, you might never be, friends, listen. You might never be on the worship team. You might never preach a sermon. You may never counsel anyone. But you can be deeply motivated to pray and come before God on behalf of others. You are prayer warriors. You are the Mataniahs of our century. And you're praying for this ministry. So let me ask you, Mataniahs. Are you praying for Second Street Campus? Pray for 411 March Street. Pray for 2nd Street Campus. Saturday night, Sunday morning. We're on the heart of darkness working for the Lord. You need to be praying for that ministry. And then there's finally a fourth group. Verses 22 through 23. They're identified by the name singers. And I want you to see this. This is amazing. They minister over the work of the house of God. What that means is this. Worship is global. Worship, worship is systemic. It works over the entire church. It's why it's so attacked by Satan. It's why so many churches split over worship wars. Some of you may have come from a church that is split over worship. It's behind the preaching of the word, the most attacked ministry in the church by our enemies. And they were so important. Look what verse 23 says. There was a command from the king concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. The king of Persia, who represents the king of kings, gave a command that they be supported. You must support the house of God. And he provided, he provided for them. Do you see the degree of honor the worship personnel were given? And we've got a lot of people that are leading a lot of this worship. Billy Bardish, who was leading this morning, he's home on college this summer. He's usually at Lancaster. He came up to me and said, Pastor Tim, I've got a 150-hour practicum that I need to complete. And I can't think of anywhere I want to complete it other than at Cornerstone, my church. How can you put me to work? So I gave him to Pastor Tim who oversees the worship ministry and he put Billy to work. Billy's doing so much behind the scenes. He's his right-hand man this summer. He's leading worship. Listen, we've got people, Cheryl and Joe and Zoraida and Dan. We've got people all over 2nd Street. We've got Josh Gropes and Jill Fox who are leading Saturday night worship. And so many people on these teams, as well as Cindy and and Peter. I mean, we've got people all over, but we need more people on the worship teams. Unless you can't sing or play an instrument, then we will find something else for you. But if you can play something and you want to continue to grow in the ability to play that, and you want to bring honor over the work of the house of God. Listen, it's systemic. If you want to bring honor over the work, then come find Pastor Tim and get working in that ministry. Listen, this is exciting stuff. This is how Nehemiah is repopulating the city. So let me end with three principles for all of us. And I'm going to be brief. 
Listen, look at me for a second, if you would. Your gifts, your gifts, your spiritual gifts and your talents that God has given you make you valuable. Do you hear that? They make you valuable, though they may not make you famous. And the Lord, number two, remembers everything that you're going to do in love. He will remember everything you do in his house. God is not so unjust, Hebrews says, as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. Listen, he remembers Some of you are giving heroic amounts of time. You give hours and hours a week. Listen, God's going to remember that. Some of you have left the comfort of 411 March Street. I had somebody tell me recently that's going to 2nd Street who visited March Street and said, Boy, this feels like home. They left home to go do a work down in the city where it is difficult. And God's going to remember And there's so many at March Street saying, you know what? God's called us to stay here and you're doing heroic work and God's going to remember that. And thirdly, your rewards will be based on faithfulness, not fame. If you don't get recognition, that's all right. God's recognizing you. Even before I was a lead pastor, there would be times that it would just burn in my heart, I would have said that sermon this way, or I wish I could have preached it this way. The Lord didn't have me preaching then. And that's okay. I got to be an unsung hero. Listen, some of you who are unsung heroes, you're going to get more reward than what I'm doing. I'm the one to get the recognition. You don't. And God's going to say, I've got a reward for you in eternity, and you are going to so enjoy it. Look at verse 2. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Can I ask everybody here who is going to 2nd Street Campus Saturday or Sunday, would you stand up for a moment? Now you stay standing for a minute. March Street Campus, they're our sister campus. Nine out of ten of us stay at Marsh Street, one-tenth go. I don't know if that's the statistic, but listen, it's our job to bless them. You pray for them, you encourage them, you honor them. They're going down into darkness, they're going down into the battle, the likes of which at Marsh Street, you're not going to see. You're not going to see it. Not to this degree. So let's bless them this morning. Perhaps God is directing some of you to join them and see a place for worshiping Jesus Christ built and established right into the midst of that darkness. Maybe he's moving you down there. We'd like to invite you to do that. It's a service on Sunday morning unlike anything you've ever been part of, I'm pretty sure. It's pretty innovative. And there's some adjustments that we're actually making. It was a two-hour service in a couple weeks. It's going to come down to a 90-minute service. For those of you who with younger children, it'll be a little easier, but there's going to be two bookends. One in the beginning, a coffee house, 9.30 to 10. That's when church starts. 
from 10 to 11.30, worshiping together with a lot of innovative parts to it. And then if you want to stay, it's totally up to you. If you want to stay and say, okay, how do I live this sermon? How do I apply it in my life? Then you can stay for another half hour. We're going to talk about it. Or you're free to leave at 11.30. And Saturday night's a 90-minute service. It is rocking. It is exciting. There's something about being together at night. I don't know. It's just different. And it is exciting with a coffee house that follows. So we want to encourage you. If God is propelling you or impelling you, encouraging you to go, listen to his voice, and let's get down there and work together in March Street. Let's support the work and let's do a heroic work for the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. As a worship team comes back up here, Father, I pray that we would finish this celebration service, Lord, what we're going to be doing once a quarter. Reconnecting with our families at different campuses. Lord, I pray that we would finish this service, Lord, with praise. That we would absolutely enjoy being in this big living room back with our family. And Lord, I pray for all the campuses. I pray for March Street. I pray for Saturday night, Sunday morning, 2nd Street. Lord, would you bless, fill with your faithful, fill the way city. So that your name is made known. You are made famous. God, that's our prayer. And we ask for your help. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.